continue this series of messages because there's so much negativity taking place in our country. People are dying. People are being shot. Marriages are dissolving. Family members aren't talking to one another. People go to their offices, don't have no relationships with nobody. We live in a world of weak on the strength of the Bible. How could we fall apart like this? As one preacher says, we were never together. All that has happened has just made us exposed with we were not as together as we think we were. In Acts chapter 15, he says in verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark along with him, with them also, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along and had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred a sharp disagreement and they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren uh, by the, for the, to the grace of the Lord God. It even had a church moving in different directions. Let us pray. Dear God, you, this is nothing new to you. These difficulties, these issues, <laughs> happened way back at Cain and Abel. <laughs> so this is old. You've been trying to teach us how to work through struggles. But God, we're emotional people, and we love our logic and our reasoning. And we come to your word many times, God, with our own agendas. So our interpretations are based on what we want them to be, rather than what you're saying. God, I pray that we will not find safe places so that we will grow, so that we will become better. Since we're going to be to heaven in heaven together forever, and you ain't going to tolerate none of this. So guide us, we pray, for that day. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It is interesting in Scripture that godly people can disagree. And when they disagree, they teach us how to manage a riff. They teach us how to manage a riff. You would say, wait a minute, the riff is a riff. When it's messed up, it's messed up. What are you talking about? Yeah, when it's messed up, it is fixed up for a better thing in the scriptures. But in our world, when it's messed up, it's messed up. Because a riff is a riff but not in the scriptures. I mean, there's lots of riffs in the scriptures. I mean, you have Jesus Christ who don't mince words. 
Sometimes we are so godly, we're not godly. What I mean by that is Jesus Christ, when Peter would try to put a riff between him and the mission of God, he would say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because God, Jesus Christ didn't mince words. Matter of fact, I've seen a good book written on how Jesus Christ can be very blunt. Because the truth is very blunt. I'll never forget my wife and I going back to celebrate our 30th anniversary in Guyana, South America. And she went to one of her best friends who still lives there. And the best friend saw her. And the best friend says, Everett, you got fat. I went, that's Caribbean. <laughs> that is not American. So we laughed about it because we recognized that at the end of the day, we both gained weight from the time we have left 30 years ago. So, so she in line, but we didn't want to hear the truth. So many times when we come to relationships, the truth sometimes hurts. And so we would rather go to safe places. We would rather run away to safe places. And Jesus Christ, he's going to stand up and he's going to tell you the truth. Jesus guy's going to say right now, Peter, even though you just had this revelation from God right now, Satan has influenced you to get me off of the agenda because you're all big-headed that God chose you on top of all these disciples to say, I am the Christ, and you lost your mind. So since you're going to get all that arrogant, pride leads to arrogance. Arrogance is, uh, the Bible says God will fight it. Get behind me, Satan, because that's the element of who Satan is. He's arrogant. Bottom line, if you think you could tempt Jesus Christ and use the word of God as a way to get him away from, from God, that's pretty arrogant. That's Satan. So understand, Jesus Christ didn't mince matters. He said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus Christ would have difficulty dealing with the disciples. He would have difficulty dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He'd go to the temple and he'll whip folks out the temple. Jesus Christ would go to the temple and he would have people try to stone him to death. This is Jesus going to church, and people want to stone him, and he did nothing wrong. So you have rifts that take place. You got the rifts of Moses and Miriam in the Bible. We could do this all day. We could sit in the Bible and deal with this all day. You got a Judas walking with Jesus. Everybody thought Judas was great. They thought he was a great guy. I mean, they don't know that Judas was Judas. It's not until after Judas became obvious to be a thief and to be who Judas was that they realized that Judas was Judas. They never saw it. They, they would, if you start looking at the scriptures and how they got along with Judas, they never saw Judas as Judas. Judas was so slick, he covered their eyes from his, who he really was. He was that slick about it. So understand, you got all of that taking place where Jesus Christ would allow a Judas to walk with him. So you, you could go through the Bible and we could do riffs forever. Because the Bible has a bunch of them all over the place. You, you could find the riffs even in marriages in the Bible with Sarah and Abraham. They didn't get along all the time. I mean, you got Sarah telling Abraham, take this woman and give me a child. You know, it's not like Abraham argued, so don't get twisted on the woman now. It's not Abraham didn't argue. He didn't have a long meeting. You didn't see him pray about it. None of that stuff. When he said get rid of Ishmael, Abraham went to pray about it. But when he said go to Hagar, Abraham wasn't praying. Abraham went to Hagar. So don't get twisted on the woman. You got to watch the man too, okay? So at the end of the day, you got all of these things taking place, even Abraham having a riff with God. You got Job, a righteous man, struggling over why he would suffer like he would. 
are having this argument that God stayed silent about until God chose to speak. But throughout the, the difficulty that Job had, God was silent. He didn't say a word when this person is going through all this stuff and he's counted as righteous in the midst of it. So when you look at the Bible, there are rifts everywhere. We just have a way of having rifts that don't come back to being strengths. We don't have that in us. We like going to safe places. We like having rifts where we could go to safe places and don't come out because it's safe for us to stay there and not have to deal with spiritual growth. Not to deal with spiritual growth. Spiritual growth means you got to face it. You got to walk through it. You may not accomplish anything starting out, but you still have to walk through it. And we don't tend to do that very well because the culture we live in says you got options. You could take a riff and go in all kinds of directions in our culture. Matter of fact, you could take a riff when it comes to churches and find a million of them in two days. So you could do all kinds of things. That's why there's first Baptists and second Baptists. I mean, it's, you know, you got all these different riffs that has taken place over time. Churches in courtrooms, all kinds of stuff. We don't seem to know how to come to rifts and work our way through them. And that's what we find here with two godly men. Matter of fact, you look at Acts chapter 11, you'll find that Barnabas was a very godly man. He wasn't a, a man that only Paul could talk about Paul. I mean, Paul, the apostle of God, and Paul is a man who, you know, wrote half the New Testament. You could say all those things about Paul. But Barnabas is the reason Paul is even able to come out of Tarsus. Paul stayed in Tarsus for 14 years. The person who brought him out was Barnabas. Barnabas was the one who brought him out to Antioch. Barnabas was the one who got the disciples to accept Paul because he saw in Paul who Paul was supposed to be for Christ. So when the disciples who had a riff with Paul for reasons obvious because Paul was persecuting them, Paul was treating them horrible and all of a sudden Paul talks about this experience on the road to Damascus and now he's going to come with them. No, they had to let Paul down through a basket, on a basket through a window because they did not trust Paul. So they had a rift between Paul and the disciples and the person who helps to solve that rift is Barnabas. Barnabas in chapter 11, beginning in verse 24, actually could read all the way back to verse 19 for the sake of time. There in Antioch in verse 24, he says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. This man is going on mission trips. There's, some days weren't easy to go on mission trips. We get to jump on a plane. They got on a boat. You ever went to some of those ships they were on? Where do you use the restroom? On the side of the ship. <laughs> that's where you use it there wasn't no cruise ships going across the water you ate the you ate food you had to ration yourself because sometimes because of sails on the boat you're in the middle of the ocean and there's no wind so guess where you get stuck for a few days or months like Paul did smack in the middle of the ocean they were people of faith and considered a considerable numbers were brought to God because of this man. And he left and went to Tarsus and got Paul, Saul. Look at verse 25. And he left for Tarsus and looked to look for Saul because he knew that he was called to the Gentiles. And Antioch was Gentiles. As a matter of fact, that's where you first get the first church building is in Antioch. And it, he went and found Paul, brought Paul, saying, hey, you're supposed to go to the Gentiles. So he's one of the few disciples or apostles who actually believed in Paul. And he and Paul did a mission trip together. 
And when they got ready to do this mission trip, people got saved. Antioch was bumping and the people were getting saved. Everything was going great. But they settled down and started to say to themselves, well, we got to go back. We got to make sure these folks that are just not saved, but they're doing well, like we do in Africa and in Belize. Some people say, oh, just keep going to different places. And we go, no, we want to go back. We want to make sure that what we're doing is consistently being built on for long-term impact over time. Or you could bounce all over the world and not do nothing. Like a rolling stone, my dad used to say, gathers no moss. So he's, they, they are going back. And there's a problem, though. There's a problem, though. The problem is John Mark. Now, many people believe that John Mark was a person who ran from Jesus Christ when things got tough. They would say a young man in the midst of all the problems that are taking place ran from Jesus Christ. And many people believe that's John Mark. So John Mark seemed to have a running issue. <laughs> when things got tough, John Mark tends to run off. And literally many historians believe that John Mark not just went away from Paul, he revolted from Paul. Because taking on Gentiles was, was crazy in their mind. Understand, for years growing up, Gentiles are dogs. That's why the woman would simply say, even a dog would eat the crumbs off the table. She's literally saying, I accept that you're really racist when you look at me, but I still need you, so I'll eat the crumbs off the table. Jesus Christ goes, wow, you'll go past all of that because you need me, and these folks can't go past their 300 extra laws that they put on to come to Christ? Wow, I bless you. He responded to the woman because the woman did not let racial issues get in the way of finding Jesus. But they were that racist about it. They didn't see pagans eating bad foods that they were not allowed to eat. So it was crazy. Look at what the foods they eat. They worship all these false gods. And they go to these temples and they have orgies. And, and, and they go to these temples and they do all of these crazy things when they get to these temples. Getting drunk and having prostitutes at the temple and all this stuff. So they're crazy with the gods they worship. So this is like, this is like no way we could accept these Gentiles. And guess who Paul is going to? The worst person of all who would crucify the Christians for believing in this Jesus who said go to the world. Is Paul. So he revolted. Not John Mark didn't just disagree. Many people believe he revolted against Paul. I had nothing to do with this. And I am leaving and I'm out of here. I got nothing to do with none of y'all. And I'm out. So they, but John Mark is related to Barnabas. That's his cousin. So John, uh, they say, that's my cousin. <laughs> that, so John Mark, so to Barnabas, he is focused on the relationship knowing that John Mark's moms, as we would studied earlier on, is a person who was key in establishing the church by using her house. So she, they have a history, not just as cousins, but as a long history in how they developed Christianity as a brand new religion to the world. And there was a deep sense of loyalty and commitment to that that caused Peter to be released from prison because of the prayer meeting his mama had in the house. That's why John Mark would end up in a relationship with Peter. So they're seeing this young man coming from a rich Christian heritage and definitely committed to God, but he, he goes through these times when he revolts because he does not agree with certain things and he just back up and want to go away. But because he's my cousin... 
I can't just let him be gone and you, we just let him go. We got to do something here. So they, they had a bitter argument. Two godly men had a bitter argument. And I want you to get into the Greek a little bit with me to show you the intensity of the argument. Because we could just say they disagreed. That's nice. Like two, it's like a couple saying, you know, we have our spats. That's a really nice way of saying we, we got to lick down. You know, people say that to you. We have spats. We have spats. I always ask them, define the word spat. Is that a spit? What is a spat? Uh, that is very, very European. We had a spat. Come on now. What was that? Let me show you the intensity of the text here so you could see that they are arguing. They're not just having a little bitty party here. Now, in verse 37, he says, of, of Acts chapter 15, he says, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. The wanted here means he was compelled, he was going to make it a commitment, and he encouraging his mind. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take John Mark. In other words, Barnabas is kind of pulling a status on Paul here in the sense that I brought you to the picture to this church at Antioch and I'm telling you right now that I'm taking John Mark. And Paul ain't no punk. Paul is going to pull up. Paul is the guy that's going around killing Christians. Paul is the guy that's going to go into whatever situation if it's an unknown God and stand up and speak. Paul ain't backing up for nothing. Paul is not a person who's going to take on anything. And be, and be afraid of nothing. So Paul backs him in backing up. Paul kept insisting. The word means Barnabas is talking and Paul is talking. Because the, the, let me, let me get, let's, let's, let's just jump up in here with a little bit of Greek here. It's the words are written in what they call an imperfect tense. What is that? An imperfect tense is an action that started in the past, continues in the present, with no plan to stop in the future. So in other words, they're going to keep arguing. As long as this situation, we're going to keep arguing. And we are not going to change. I'm not going to change. You're not going to change. And we're just going to keep going at this because I believe I'm right. You believe you're right. And we ain't changing nothing. So they're literally constantly going back and forth, constantly going back and forth. And they're talking over each other and they're arguing over John Mark. And you don't ever see John Mark in the picture anywhere because John Mark has already revolted. He ain't going. Y'all keep arguing. I'm not going. Y'all go to these churches. I'm not going back to those churches. I, many people believe he don't even agree with this Gentile outreach. And that's weird because in Acts chapter 15, they have to go soft as Gentile outreach because there's so much arguments. It's not like the argument stopped. Look at chapter, chapter 15 earlier on. You got arguments developing. So John Mark apparently wasn't satisfied with the conclusion of the argument. Look at verse 2 of chapter 15. He says, And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, so they were joined up on this one, separated on the other one. And the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders concerning this issue. That's why doctrinal issues are solved with the elders. They don't solve doctrinal issues in a church with people deciding it like it's a democratic system. It's not. It's a theocratic system. And please understand that. So when issues of doctrine and all that stuff is addressed with elders, it's not because we're just doing that. It's because that's how the Bible resolved things. It didn't resolve it in a congregation. So they, they, they went to the apostles in verse 24. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they, re they were received by the church 
and the apostles and the elders and they reported all that God had done for them and they had this big result that had to be resolved issue that had to be resolved so you would think that once they dissolve it there is done and you think John Mark and Paul are like buddies because they just stood up to everybody fought in the midst of the dissension addressed the dissension and moved forward but no there's another thing that came up and boom folks understand Sometimes people pick sides not because of the Bible. They pick sides because of loyalties. And it has nothing to do with the Bible all the time. It's just, that's my brother. That's just what we're going to do. We're going to do this. No, I ain't doing that. That's just where I'm at. I've seen people, I've seen people sit down with some people and say, hey, this is what the Bible is saying. I know what the Bible is saying. That makes sense to me. I finally understand that. But this is not what I just, I don't believe, just don't believe that. People get to points in their lives where they're loyal to their emotions, they're loyal to family members, and they're loyal to people in a church that they felt loyalty to. And they would hold to those loyalties. No matter what dissensions, no matter what conflicts, no matter what it does to their heart, they hold to it. And they live with it because that's what they believe. It has nothing to do with what is the scripture saying. Turn it off. Nothing to do with what God's agenda is for that particular situation. Turn that off. Has nothing to do with what is God going to get out of this. It's irrelevant. It's about winning. Anytime we come to relationships and it's about winning and it's about me being right, we lose. It's not about us winning. It's about God winning. I have this rule all the time. And I really work hard at applying it to my marriage. I'm not perfect at it all the time. I'm just not. But I always would do this. What that means is I raised my kids this way, my wife and I. Family is above everybody. And the minute somebody brings family here, the family is damaged. But when the family is here and we're all adjusting to what this means biblically, when you lose yourself, you gain yourself for Christ's sake. But when you hold on to yourself, you lose yourself and you hurt everybody else around you. Could you imagine what this is doing to a church? The church actually decided to go with Paul. You see that in the, in the verses that I read. Look at chapter 4, 4, 15. They actually saw that Paul was correct. In verse 40 it says, and Paul chose Silas and left. Because Silas, you check Silas out, Silas was going to stick with the focus and the agenda that God has set. Being committed by the brethren to the grace of God, to the grace of the Lord. So you don't see the church being committed, meaning the church lays hands on Paul and, and Silas. The church prays over them and sends them away. You don't see that happening with Barnabas. Because Barnabas is lining up with loyalty to family. It ain't got nothing to do with the Bible at this point. I like John Mark. He's my cousin. I'm going with him. And that's fundamentally what creates the rift. When we have loyalty to things that God is not loyal to. When we have loyalty to things that God is not loyal to because how we feel, who we know, and what we know because of how they know, all these different things and all these things that people believe in that is not even in the Bible. Let me show you something that is crucial to a riff. Go to Matthew 18. Because many times we even will decide in a riff that we don't even need a witness. We just believe the person because we like them. And that is sinful. We just like the person. We think that they were mistreated. Don't even try to get the whole details of anything. 
We don't need the details because we're loyal. We don't need details, and the Bible says that's wrong. You got to get details. And the truth must win. The truth must win. Who is the truth? Jesus. I've said a definition for the truth in the Bible is a truth is a factual situation based on evidence that can be stirred up to prove the facts are true. Okay? That's truth. You go into a court of a law court and a, what does the judge want? Facts. Give me evidence. Do you have emails? Do you have eyewitnesses? You want facts. Truth, second thing about truth is it happens in the past. That's why you could relate to it in the present. Jesus is the truth because you can find him all over the Old Testament. So when he shows up in the New Testament, that's why Nicodemus would come to him and say, you line up perfectly because Nicodemus saw the past lining up to the present. And he didn't care what the Pharisees, Sadducees, and everybody was arguing about. When I look at the facts, this man is the Christ. So y'all can argue, fuss, fight, whatever you want to do. The facts line up right here. That's the truth. And we tend not to go to the truth because we tend to take sides. And the Bible says just in doing that is sinful. In Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 he says, If your brother sins, go to show his fault in private. Show it, reveal it, expose it. If you know the person, the word sin means, if you know the person violated the word of God, fell short on the word of God, Go show the evidence, expose the evidence privately. When you finish doing it privately and he doesn't listen, then you bring another witness, not another person that lines up with you. He says in chapter, chapter 18, he says right here, he says, but if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact can be established. Every fact could be confirmed. Not everything we like, agree with, that. no. Every fact can be confirmed. Matter of fact, when we, we have this verse that we like to use, if my brother offends me, you know, you, you go to him before he goes to in Matthew 5. The word offense is no different than the word violating the law driving down the highway. That's literally the same Greek word. He is saying if the person does something that violates the word of God, then you have a right to go to that person and bring up the word of God and get them back to it so you could, have not, you could keep the riff from becoming a riff. That's what he's saying. Is that somebody walk past me and I hate that cologne? That's not offense. All right, they, they just be splitting their verbs. I wish they could be more educated in how they go about things. That's not offense. It's like a husband and a wife. I can't stand the way she cooked this. That's not an offense. Eat the food if you want to stay married. Be glad you got to cook in the name of Jesus. That's what I be saying. Thank you, Jesus. I can't cook. Got to cook. Can't go out to eat all the time. Budget don't allow it. Thank you, baby. This is beautiful. I ain't care about nothing. It don't kill me. I'm in good place. <laughs> I used to make the kids say thank you. Thank you, mom. Thank you, mom, for cooking. Every meal. I didn't care. Every meal. Thank you, mama, for cooking for you. Thank God they're doing it with their wives now. Got they, I heard the kids went to their house and said, tell mama thanks for cooking. So oh, good. They repeated that. That's a good thing. Woman sit up there and cook. My wife come home. She cook her shoes off. I said, look at this woman. Torso over there, shoes over there, cooking for her kids. I ain't no woman going to cook just all of a sudden. She'd been thinking about that meal all day. So thank you, Jesus. See, now, <laughs> that is not an offense technically. If I was to say, 
This food nasty. I know the women are going, he crazy. Technically, it's not an offense. It's just telling the truth. Hello. <laughs> Did I get too close to the fire machine? <laughs> Way too close, huh? It's technically not an offense that the Bible is saying if your brother offends you. It's not. It's the truth. It's like wife comes home from the beauty shop. How do you think? What do you think? Oh, man, I hate that question. Are you either going to lie or I'm going to tell the truth? And if I, what I know is the truth is she expects me to tell a lie or the truth. She doesn't really care if it's a lie or the truth. Just tell me it's beautiful. Bottom line, I must say this is beautiful. So sometimes I don't like it. But guess what I do? It looks good on you. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm trying to save the marriage. Because she would walk around, I can't believe it. I, I, you, okay. At the end of the day, that's technically not an offense. That's an opinion. And based on Romans 14, I have a right to my opinion. Romans 14 says that if I have an opinion that doesn't violate the word of God, we must respect one another's opinion. So it's technically not an offense. I was technically supposed to be respected for my opinion, even though I know that's not going to happen. So I just lie. That's the truth. God forgive me. I don't like this hairdo, but for the sake of my marriage, I'm going to say, it looks, and you have to put a smile on your face. It looks beautiful, baby. Then you got to go hug her and look at it, you know. So you put on this pretentious thing, and then you go in the bedroom going, man, I just not, I don't know what she do that color in her head for. I just didn't go with But you got to keep this tongue shut. Since God gives it a prison with, with teeth, lips, and hands. So sometimes I go, I said, God, forgive me. I don't like it, but she likes it. So that's the bottom line. That's it, you know, but I don't like it. But I still go back to God to be accountable because at the end of the day, I honestly don't like it. And I know I didn't like it. And I said, yes, I like it. So at the end of the day, the person who's offended is God. Well, I try to save an offense with my wife. See, the Bible is saying that that's not the rift he's talking about because that's not a biblical offense. So technically, none of these men sinned. Technically, the person who should not have taken sides was Barnabas. But technically, he did not do anything that was sinful because Paul was the one who was called to the Gentiles. Technically, he is not. Paul is. So he went with his family. So understand, you've got this agree, agreement to disagree. Look at this. Go back to Acts. There's an agreement to disagree. And this is what he's saying here. They said, but Paul kept insisting in verse 38. He said, no, 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 no. He deserted us. We don't know what we're going to face on this road. We don't know what we're going to face when we walk into any situations where he can't desert us. We need to have somebody who's going to stick with us. So Paul got a strong point. But it's not, not a call on John Mark's life to say go to the Gentiles. It's a call on Paul's life to go to the Gentiles. So Paul can't forsake his call to go do what God says and try to line up with everybody else. So that sets Paul alone. Two people against one. And verse 39, he says, And there occurred such a, such a sharp disagreement, because they will not change, that they separated. 
from one another. Barnabas took John, Mark, basically John took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. They're gone. They're at the door. They left the house. And Paul left and going a whole nother direction. They disagreed to disagree. They agreed to disagree. And as they agreed to disagree, it took maturity for them to agree again. Go to 2 Timothy. It took maturity. Sometimes, before you go to 2 Timothy, go to Galatians chapter 5. On our, on our way to 2 Timothy. They disagreed. They disagreed. They agreed to disagree. We are not, I am not going to do what you're saying, Paul. And I don't know if there's a little powerhouse going on here because Barnabas is the one that brought Paul. I don't know if that's going on as a part of it. Ego little thing. I don't know that. There's nothing in the scripture to say that, but there's a disagreement here. You got Paul saying, no, I got to go to the Gentiles. I'm going back to these people. Barnabas still goes to the Gentiles, but he's taking John Mark. And he ends up by doing that because he stays within the will of God. By doing that, he matures John Mark who hooks back up with Paul. But what keeps us disagreeing is a lack of maturity. And it says it right there in Galatians 5. What keeps us from not coming back together is this. In Galatians chapter 5, he says this about the flesh in verse 17. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They're in opposition to one another so that we, you may not do the things that you please. The fundamental problem is the flesh wants something and the spirit says something. In verse 19, he says the deeds of the flesh are loud. They're very loud. It's immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. So what you have is a faction. You've got Barnabas going his way, taking John Mark. Paul going his way, taking Silas. you got a faction. you got dissensions. you got strife. So at the end of the day, both men, though, watch this carefully. Watch this carefully because this is how rifts bring people back together. They did not, did not walk outside the will of God. They were committed to stay within the will of God, not just take a person with them. Please hear that. If you don't hear that, we keep having rifts and we don't see Christians coming back together because we're not committed to the will of God. We're committed to our flesh. We're committed to our own understanding and we don't want to hear that. We want to hear that we are still loving God while we still do ourselves. And it's sinful before God and God is not going to leave us unaccountable for it. He's not. He's not. It's the flesh. When we keep being having dissensions and factions and strife, that ain't God. That's, that's, and then you, you, we could take it further. I'm sure that if we continue that way, Satan comes into the ring. Right there in Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 4. Satan jumps in the ring and Satan creates even more dissension. Go back to Adam and Eve, you'll find this. So that's why in 2 Timothy... Chapter 4, watch what brings them back together. I don't care how we cook this. I don't care how we frame this. 
Sometimes we have way too much loyalty to people we believe in, like, think they're great and that. I don't let the person walk in with a lot of credentials. Then we just get so impressed. It got nothing to do with the Bible anymore. It got to do with loyalties. But we, and then we walk away from the scriptures and that's why we don't come back together. But these people came back together because they decided to stay within the will of God. They decided to stay there. Watch this carefully. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, this is what he says. Paul is about to die. He knows his road is coming to an end. You notice by he's saying it, he's literally telling you, verse 6 of chapter 4, he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Now, you go to Philippians, he's saying, I'm going to live on. But now he's saying, I'm done. Everything that God wanted me to do, I have done it. Everything, that God, place that God wanted to send me to, I have gone to it. Every book I was supposed to write, I have written it. He knows when his ministry was done. When you stay within the will of God, he'll make that clear. He says, I have fought the good fight. It wasn't easy. None of this stuff was easy. But I fought, watch, this, watch, this, watch the words carefully. Watch the words. I fought the good fight. <coughs> I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I have fought, how many fights? The good fight. In other words, I didn't fight all them fights. I fought one fight. Will I keep the faith or will I not? That's it. That's the only fought, fight I fought this entire time. Am I going to do what God says or am I not going to do what God says? And that fight, because I wrestled with the flesh, Galatians chapter 5, and I wrestled with the spirit, was a fight. The things I want to do, I do not do, Romans chapter 7. So Paul is saying, the fight that I had was more about me than the person. I had to decide whether or not I'm going to go with my emotions, my loyalties, whatever, or am I going to do what God says. And the fight I choose to fight that made me pour out like a drink offering was the fight that I would keep doing what God says no matter what. That's what Paul did. That became his victory. What became his victory is he never closed the Bible. He never walked away from the Lord God. If he was ever tempted, he says, no, I'm more than a conqueror. All things will work together for good for them who love the Lord and serve his purposes. So even though it looks bad, because it looks so bad, Timothy wanted to leave him. Timothy says, there's no way you can be following Jesus in jail, beaten, all this stuff. There's just no way. Timothy wanted to walk away from him. That's why he's writing 2 Timothy, encouraging Timothy to stay in the faith. So his life doesn't look like God even walked with him. But Paul says, the reason why you saw all of that, Timothy, is because I was seeking to keep the faith. And Satan opposed me. So Paul, I have finished the course. Watch this carefully. I have kept the faith. I preserved in the word of God. And as a result of that, in the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. And not only to me, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. It's going to be so evident who lined up on the wrong side on that day. God is not going to let that go nowhere. So I keep telling y'all, at the end of the day, we're going to be in heaven. And God ain't going to tolerate no mess. He ain't tolerating none of it. No mess. 
You say, well, I don't like that person. Well, God may put them as your neighbor. <laughs> Might as well get along with them now. Because I, you know, I don't know for sure. I can't tell you what God is going to do. He doesn't put it in a verse, so I wouldn't know. But I could just see God taking the person you can't stand at your job that is saved and put them right next to you and go, y'all going to be neighbors for the rest of your life, for the rest of ever. Could you? And then he says, all your enemies, I'll make them your footstool. So all the people that kept fighting you, that kept, and you didn't stay in the will of God while, you, while they were fighting you, I'll make them be footstool, meaning I will make them become your blessing. So you would know who the person was. I don't know why we're fooling ourselves. God is not dealing with this. Look at, look, look at verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Nobody deserted him. He says, pick up Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for service. Ho-ho. What happened here? What, what, what happened here? The same person that Paul said peace to. We're done. His cousin took him. And kept him in ministry. The thing that John Mark did, even though he was wrong, he didn't walk away from God. He didn't walk away from doing what God called him to do. He didn't walk away from serving the Lord in the way God called him to serve him. Use his spiritual gift. He did not walk away. So I keep saying to y'all, you don't walk away from God. You may not like the person and may get mad and walk away from them, but don't walk away from God. Because when you walk away from God, there's no hope for the relationship to ever work. And the rift continues forever. You don't walk away from God. God is the one who determines the ultimate results. So you don't want to walk away from somebody who you can't change what the results are going to be. Can't change them. So it's better to stick with the person who controls the results than try to control your own results only to run to his results. So that's why he says... John Mark served. What the words? What's the words? Walk with me. We really need to learn how to go from rifts to growing spiritually so we come through it. It may pour us out like a drink offering, but we win the crown of righteousness because we didn't walk from God. Sometimes we're so loyal, we don't even care what God has to say. That's the struggle I have as a pastor. Are we going to open up the Bible and just look at it? No. I've had people say, oh, you know the Bible, you know the Bible. It's almost like because they know I've studied the scriptures that they don't want me to open it because they feel like I'm going to use it against them. What are we using against them? God doesn't take sides. God's word is a sword. It divides bone and marrow. It doesn't take sides. God is not on anybody's side. Don't ride elephants, donkeys, nothing. Remember the story of Joshua? And the Lord of hosts. Joshua comes to the Lord of hosts who's a, you know, look like a warrior. And he says, hey, whose side are you on? He goes, I'm on the Lord's side. What, what are you talking about? The Lord don't be taking nobody's side. I am the Lord Jesus Christ. I am God. Why am I taking a side for? Come on, my side. I'm the one. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. God ain't taking nobody's side. Look at verse 11. Pick up John Mark. I want you to note that pick up here means this is the subject, and I'm telling you right now, <coughs> excuse me, I'm commanding you right now to do this. Get him. Why? John Mark is not jumping up going, say, I'm going back to Paul in two seconds. Because Paul said, I got nothing to do with you. So Paul is the one who's reaching out to John Mark saying, bring him. And he's telling them to bring him. That's the beautiful thing 
about a relationship. That sometimes the person feels intimidated walking back in. Sometimes you got to reach out to them, but they got to be accepting to reach out. Sometimes people don't want you to reach out, they don't return your phone call, nothing. Nothing you can do about that. But he says, reach out to them. He says, pick up, go pick him up. It's a command. And when he says, pick him up, he says, bring him to me. That's a command. I'm not suggesting this. And the way this is set up in the Greek means, make it a habit to go overboard, never quit until you get him here. That's literally the saying in the Greek. You don't ever let him quit until he gets back here. He must come back here. That's what maturity does. Watch this carefully. Watch carefully. Bring him, for he is useful. <laughs> you know what he's saying here? I've watched John Mark. I've listened to the testimony of John Mark with Peter. I've watched John Mark serve in the local churches. I've watched him serve in ministry. And when I see how he served, I see how he's operated, I see how he's functioned, John Mark has proven to be productive and effective. So it doesn't really matter what I think. It doesn't really matter what I feel. It matters that we're doing Jesus. And since he is doing Jesus, and that's positively affecting the glory of God and is productive for the glory of God, bump what I feel, bump what I think. It doesn't matter what I feel, what I think was happening in the past is irrelevant the glory of God the agenda of God is above everything so bring John Mark to me that's what made the difference and many times we're going we're in the past they just don't know what he did he revolted against us I don't know what you know you, everybody's saying he all right but you know <laughs> he may come back here and mess up because now you got to deal with me he, I don't know but all the other people we go through all of these things about ourselves and what we feel uh, and that's why I don't know man because we hold on to the past and I keep saying this statement and I would always say this statement you can't let the past control the present or you would erase your future but if you let the past be the past and focus on Christ and the present you end up with an awesome future because Christ could take a liar and make them tell the truth. Christ could take a Peter and deny them and make him preach at Pentecost. All Christ needs is a willing heart, a, a surrendered life, and he could make somebody go from darkness to light. He doesn't need the person to be great. He just needs the person to allow him to be great through them. That's what he needs. That's what you see here. The maturity of both men to stay within the agenda of God and do what God says, committed to God's agenda, led to such a spiritual growth that because the agenda of God is still on the table and Paul knows he's going out the door, he needs to make sure that the agenda of God keeps going. So let's get John Mark back here because we can't let the agenda of God die because I'm going away. That's the commitment. That's the commitment you see. You know, sometimes I see this in sports. See this in sports. I never forget <laughs> running on to the soccer field in college. And uh, the guy's position I took as a freshman <coughs> booed me onto this court, to the field. And all his friends, they booed me. Boo! When the coach says, Paul, go in. I never forget that day. It's, but I've watched people in the NFL or the, or, the, or the NBA. Somebody took their spot. But for the sake of the team, go, man. Let's do it. Coaching the person on the sideline, sitting on the bench, coaching that person on the sideline for them to do well. I said, man, that takes maturity. 
The guy that sits over there going, <laughs> I hope you fail. That person is no good to the team. Because the team's success is everybody's success. That's what we find here. Sometimes we, we are so committed to ourselves, the marriage fails. Because we, we can't even see the growth in the other person. We're just stuck on their failures. So as a result of that, because we're stuck on their failures, we can't see what the person is doing. So all we're talking about is the past, not the present. So the marriage is stuck and can't have a good future. We do this with relationships with even family members. What we could focus on is what the person did wrong, not what the person is trying to do right. And so we don't talk to the person forever because of what they did last week. But if you talk to the person, maybe you'll find out they're trying to do better within a week. We even shut down conversation. And as a result of that, things suffer. Churches suffer. There's first Baptists and second Baptists and third Baptists and all this other stuff. Well, I don't know if there's a third Baptist, but y'all know what I'm saying. All because people refuse to grow under the authority of God's word. And that's what you find bring them together. Look at Colossians chapter 4, chapter 4 here. Look at chapter 4. This is what brings them back. He says, bring him to me. You keep studying John Mark. He and Paul served in ministry together before Paul died. Before Paul died. In Colossians chapter 4, he tells us. They're back together. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, Aristarchus, Aristarchus, if I said that right, my fellow prisoner sends you his greetings and also Barnabas' cousin Mark, whom you received, who received instructions. If he comes to you, watch this carefully, welcome him. Wow. If he comes to you. The other one, bring him. He's of good service to the kingdom of God. He's a blessing to the name of Jesus Christ. Bring him here. Let us work together. But now that I see the maturity in him, welcome him. In other words, don't bring up the past. Don't talk about him leaving me. Don't talk about him running from Christ. Don't talk about what has happened that John Mark has done. Let us talk about who John Mark is and who John Mark can be. And you make sure he's given every opportunity to serve in the church so he can be everything he needs to be so that God gets the glory. You welcome him. Paul writes to a church, Colossians, to instruct them to what to do with this man John Mark because by now he has a history. But John Mark, by his commitment to Christ, has erased it. Oh, folks, hear me, hear me. It's not a person sitting here that doesn't have a history. Everybody got a history. But you could let that history control you or today you could say, I don't care about that history. I care about this new agenda that God has for my life. I care about what God wants me to do. I care about letting Christ be first and I will seek the kingdom of God first so he adds everything else to me. I will let God become the Lord of my life. I run the race that is set before me. No matter what mistakes I've made, I've made them. They're done. I can't go back and fix them. But I know Christ can fix me. Christ can make me a better person. Christ can help me to make better decisions decisions. Christ can help me to do great things. Christ can help me to achieve great purposes for him. If I just put him first, he can fix everything. He fixed the Peter. He fixed the David. He fixed everybody he needed to fix to accomplish the purposes that he has. He fixed the Paul who used to kill Christians and made him write half the New Testament. 
body. If they choose to let him be first, he could make a rift come back together. We live in a country that wants to go back and beat up, beat up, beat up. We live in a country where people keep anger and resentment. And people love to sit around and build that resentment and anger and swallow on it. And the Bible is saying, look at how I see you first before you start talking bad about somebody else. You were born a sinner, lost in sin, shaped in iniquity. You weren't all of that. I saved you. And every day I look at you, sometimes I see you sinning and nobody knows. I see how you think when nobody knows. I see how you act when nobody's looking. I see you. But I still love you. I still walk with you. I still walk in your life and try to develop you. So how could you come to anybody when I'm still working on you? My mother used to say this, and I learned, I thought it was her saying it, but I learned everybody said that. You're living in a glass house, son. Don't throw no stones. And I grew up hearing that, and then I found out, oh, my mom was an original. But you know, when you're growing up and your mom is like King Kong, she's original about everything. But I learned she wasn't original. Many of us forget we live in a glass house. Some of us forget we got a log in our eye while we pick a speck in somebody else's eye. Some of us forget real self-righteous because of the successes God has brought in our life. And the world's success that not, the God looked at that when it came to Laodiceans and said, I see you as wretched, naked, and poor. I don't see you the way the world sees you. I see you the way I see you. And when I, the world finished dressing you up, I look at you and say you're naked, wretched, and poor. You and all that. So when you come to heaven, I'm going to bless you based on how I see you, not based on how they view you. What is the rift that you have in your life? And what are you doing about it? You're not going to always fix it. Tell you right now, you're not going to always fix it. There's Christ and Satan they ain't made it back together yet. Because some people are going to be satanic. They're going to lie and be deceitful and pull people to their sides. You always know a person who is being being div- used by Satan when they try to get a group around them to mount up. Every research says that's a person that is very divisive. A person that is seeking to work through something is like Paul and John, Mark, and Barnabas. They did it together like in a group. They didn't go get a whole church and line people up. They worked through it as three people and led to growth. When people start to mount up people, and we believe in this, the Bible shows you that every time that happened, Satan was working it to destroy people. But when people come to one another, say, man, I don't like this, and bring another witness, the Bible says their focus is to win somebody. Right there in Matthew 18, it's not to destroy So you always know the intent of a person when they're working in small groups trying to make it resolved. But when they're working in large groups trying to destroy, the Bible says that's satanic. But when they're working in small groups, the Bible says they're trying to win somebody back. Focus on winning somebody back. You're not going to win them all. Romans 14, Romans 15 says, no, there's some people going to bump you. I don't care. I end with this story that I thought was a beautiful story. I went to meet with a pastor in a tough time in my life. 
I said, nah, I want to hear from another pastor. So this person was trying to get me to teach at this seminary here in Houston. And he says, man, what you like to eat? Papa does. He goes, cool, Paul, let's do it. So he said, I'm in the woodlands. You right there, let's just meet on the one off of 45. I'll never forget this. And so he talked and talked and talked. He says, man, I honestly don't have the time. If I take on anything else, I will not pastor. I will not be a good husband. I'll not be a good father or, 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 a, or a grandfather, man. No, I didn't have grandkids at that time. I just wouldn't do a good job elsewhere. I love what you're doing, glad about your school, but not. So the, the conversation was basically done in the first 30 minutes. But I asked him a question. I said, what do you do when you're doing everything you can, but it's not working? It's not working. You're cracking the Bible. You're going to other pastors. The Bible says seek godly advice. You go to people who you know know you. So they would talk about you, not just about the issue. And you're coming out this way. It's not solving anything. And I don't forget what that man said to me. He looked at me and he says, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I didn't have to tell him every detail. I just told him enough. Being a pastor, he magically clicked in. Do so you know what I did? I said, what? He said, there was a particular person in the church that just always against me. So I found out his work schedule. I don't forget this. And I got my lawnmower and make sure that nobody gone from there, nobody knows, and I would go mow his yard. I said, what? My meal got real bitter. <laughs> I said, what? Are you serious? He said, yes, I mow it, I edge it. He doesn't even know who's cutting it. I don't believe he does. Because I go there and I make sure, you know, dressed in a way that people would not recognize me. And I mow it. I think it. I said, why do you do that? He says, because God told me to love him. And that's the only way I could think of doing it. And that has healed my heart. Even though I've never won him back. You see, I walked out of that restaurant going, that's Christ." I was a sinner, lost, doomed for hell. I was not seeking him, but he kept mowing my yard. That pastor didn't tell me about him. What he told me was, I surrendered my life to Christ and put the situation in his hands. And I stopped trying to control how I fix it and just control what I do in it. If I control what I do in it, then how it gets fixed is left to him. Many times relationships stay rift because we're constantly trying to fix it. And we're constantly believing we're doing all this stuff and, we, and God is going, don't wear yourself out. Trust me and let me fix you first. Then I can maybe have a better chance at fixing everything else. Paul got fixed. John Mark got fixed. Barnabas got fixed. And the kingdom of God got blessed. Let us stand.